My greater interest is in Galatians chapter number four. And uh, I'm going to interview verses four through five. But to make this a little bit more intensifying, I need to look at Ecclesiastes chapter number three and verse number one. I'll make it easy on you, Al. I'll quote Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 and you can wait for me in Galatians 4 and 4 through 5. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who is the most wisest of the Homo sapien, he says to us, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. So everything that happens in the earth has a, it's, it's subjected to time and it's not without purpose. Galatians 4 and 4 through 5. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth not from a servant, though he be Lord of all. No matter how great you are, you're still a servant. But it's under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of this world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Made of a woman. Conception. Made under the law. To redeem them that were under the law. That we might receive the adoption of sons. Validity must be the focus of Yahweh who is the God of time and timing. His precision can be measured against nothing because he controls the origin and the duration. The beginning and the ending is within the nucleus of his personality, of his person. He is the beginning. He is the ending. He controls that which was, that which is, and that which is to come. In fact, he calls the end at the beginning, which means that at the exact time he initiates and he finalizes Yahweh, the God outside of time, modifies Jesus, the God in time. <laughs> and tell somebody and tell them it's the right time. Tell somebody else he came at the right time. 
if we're going to understand time as it relates to timing, you would have to have an intimate and a personal relationship with God. And God sashays within the nucleus of originality, which means that the God Yahweh, the God who created the world, is not subject to chronological time. He is not subject to chronological time because he is the God before time. And we see this in Genesis uh, when he is creating the world and in creating the world he establishes the earth, the fowls of the air, the beast of the field, the fish of the sea. And when he moved in his creation he called the evening and the morning, the morning and the evening, the first day. Which expresses that time did not exist before God. It comes after God. Because he puts time into play at the opportune release of creation. So he is not just the God of time, but he is the God before time. I don't know how far I should go, but when you deal with the God of time, the God before time, you're dealing with a God who operates in what the modern theological scholar calls the dateless past. And the dateless past is a anthropomorphic term that describes God and his ability as it relates to his sovereignty. I didn't mean to work this hard, but I'm out there now. When you deal with the term anthropomorphic, it is a descriptive conversation that allows you and I to be able to define God. If it's anthropomorphic, it means that we are allowed to reduce God in order to be able to express God. If I would not have concept or understanding to the anthropomorphic the anthropomorphic release, then not only would I be confused, but you would be confused. Because in order for me to preach to you, I've got to be able to reduce God and present him in a way that you can understand. Because who he really is, is beyond my intellect. It's beyond my interpretation, my evaluation, my cerebral support and effort. So what he does is he reveals himself to me in a way that I can understand. I'll put it another way. Uh, 
when you hear the preacher preach, you say to yourself, this preacher is full of revelation. And you are amazed by the proclamation and the information. And you are wooed by the declaration. But what you don't understand is no matter how revelatory it is, it is still a watered down version of who God really is. Thus we have the term anthropomorphic. It is when God allows himself to be reduced so that you and I can comprehend who he is. If you had 10,000 tongues, you could not express the fullness of God. So our declaration is a reduction, and the reduction becomes the very word that brings us life. <clears throat> and the life is because there is revelation. Whenever you deal with Yahweh, you are dealing with the God in the dateless past. And the dateless past is the period outside of time, but it's the period before time. And in that period, only a supreme being could exist. And this being had to be self-sufficient. He had to be self-sufficient. He had to be sovereign. And I told you once, I'll tell you again, that sovereignty simply means that God cannot be brought into question. He cannot be interviewed or investigated. He cannot be handcuffed. He cannot be reduced by physicality or spirituality. He's sovereign, which means he can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, how he wants, to whom he wants, and nobody can do anything about it. He is a sovereign God. He declares, he initiates, he's the origin of all things. He is, the Hebrews called him Elohim. They moved from Yahweh to Elohim. And Elohim defined him as the creator of the world. The scripture tells us that we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And so he is Elohim. He is the creator of the worlds. Uh, the Latins took it farther and uh, they called him the monophilanthropist Theos, which means he is the original architect of the universe. So everything that we see created in the world by the hand of man is to the benefit of what God has already established. He is the original architect of the universe. He's in a category all by himself. 
He's not only sovereign, but he's transcendent, which means he is self-existent. He was not born. He was not created. We're talking about Yahweh, Elohim. We're talking about Jehovah. He was not born. He was not created. He simply just was. He was there. He, he was there. And the intellectual mind would challenge his existence. But the very proof that he does exist is in the reality that you exist. Because somebody who's powerful had to put all of us here. Oh yes, he is the original architect of the universe. He is sovereign and transcendent, which means he is self-existent. Now, if he is self-existent, then that means there is no being, physical or spiritual, that is on the same level as God. He is the only one of his kind. When you deal with the dateless past, you deal with two kinds of beings that exist. Number one, you deal with God who is eternal and you deal with the angels which are uh, immortal. Now, years ago, the theologians argued that God uh, was an immortal, that he is an immortal. But that's not so because an immortal does not age or die. But although they do not age or die, they are still created. When you deal with immortals, you deal with angelic beings. Can I just can I just be myself? I'm I'm just one of those theological cats. Just just follow me. When you deal with the immortal world, you deal with what Ephesians calls the principalities, the Greek word archives, which defines a level of entities and beings in many cases that are contrary to God. They are ancient. They are wise, and they manipulate the genealogy of the human race. They are the masterminds. They are immortals. They do not age. They do not die. And it also mentions the powers, the Greek exousia, which defines the infantry of the soldiers that attack the children of God. They are immortals. They do not age. They do not die. And then there is spiritual wickedness in high places. The Nematicus Panabias, and it denotes the demonic beings and the fallen or cast out angels who have entourage, who lead, who have followers. They are immortals. They do not age. They do not die. But they were created. When you deal with God, you do not deal with an immortal. You're dealing with the only one of his kind, and he is eternal. He's not an immortal being, because remember, the immortals, they do not age, they do not die, but they are created. But God is eternal, which means he just 
was. Look at your neighbor and say, there's no explanation. And if you base your life on trying to figure out how God got here, you'll die without the answer. When the Scientologist argues, you never tell me if you want me to believe in you. Well, I would say to the Scientologist, God doesn't care. Because he will not come down to your level to answer a question that he does not have to answer. He does not have to explain his existence. You've got to just trust that he is who he says he is. He is transcendent. He is omniscient, which means he knows all things. He is omnipresent, which means he is constantly encountered. And he is omnipotent, which means his power is unlimited. It is John who helps you and I to understand who God really is. I'm not going to work too hard. Some of you are looking at me deep. Just look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I need to know God in order to move to the dimension of victory that has been assorted to my life. He is sovereign. Now, this sovereign God has plans for you and me. And the plans that he made are made before you and me. In other words, he knows all of us that would be in him. So while we're fighting the devil, he already knows we're victorious. He knows you have victory. You just don't know it because you're in the middle of the conflict and the weight of the conflict is beating against your mind. But God already knows that you're coming out and you're coming out all right. Well, how does he know? Because he created you and he called your in at your beginning. <laughs> what does that mean? That means when your life started, it was already finished. And he knows the ways that you take. It is his omniscience that allows him to look before. Now what he does in his sovereignty is he sees that the world is out of control. And he sees that we're in a downtrod and things have become completely ambiguous, completely confusing. Because Adam has this ordeal in the Garden of Eden which eventually moves to Noah and Noah seems to doom all of us when he curses the seed of his youngest son with which I am the offspring. So I'm born under a curse. Born into sin, shaken into iniquity. So God has to become responsible. Just look at your neighbor, say neighbor. God is responsible for me. 
he has to become responsible so what he does is he implements methods to try and bring you and I to the place of ordinance so what happens is he has to move from a dateless past which is a period outside of time into a dispensation which is a period in time and he has to now follow the rules that he said. Oh yes, God has rules. And he follows the rules to the letter. That's what it seems. He follows the rules to the letter. Let me tell you about his rules. You remember when Jesus and the disciples got in the boat to go over to the other side. A storm came, but they were equidistant, which means they were right in the middle. It would have cost them just as much time to turn back as it would to keep going. So they decided to keep going. When they got off the boat, there was a man there full of demons. And Jesus looked at the demons and they were disguised. So he said, tell me your name. The response of the demon is, we are legion, which means a thousand to ten thousand or more. They had occupied the body of this man. Now Jesus had power to destroy them, but he had to obey the rules. The demons knew the rules, so they said to Jesus, do you come to send us to the abyss? That's the third level of hell taught to us. Do you come to send us there before our time? And you're not able to do that because your daddy made the rules. <laughs> Jesus says, yeah, you're right. I don't know where you're going, but you're getting out of here. And he sends them into the hogs. Now the hogs had more sense than the man. Because they said, I'd rather kill myself than to allow these demons to control my body. Lift up your hands. Shout hallelujah. So now then, God, for the first time, he is challenged by his own rules. And he has to do something because Satan has broken the rules. In Genesis chapter number 6, the sons of God, the Benehe Elohim, which denotes angels, had come down into the earth and they had laid with the women given birth to the Nephilim. They broke the rules of God. And now the earth is in complete turmoil. So God has to investigate and in his investigation he realizes that the first dispensation which was in the Garden of Eden only lasted three days because it took three days for Eve and Adam to turn the world upside down. The serpent deceived them. And so what God does now is he moves 
moves into the intelligence of man and he says all right i'll help them so the dispensation of innocence which is the first dispensation that lasted only three days moves man into the second dispensation which was the dispensation of consciousness because adam uh, he disregards god's word and he decides that he wants to make some decisions on his own he didn't want to totally renounce god but he felt like i'm a man and I can do some things that, that, that I think are right. So he is in a dispensation, which is the second dispensation, which is called the dispensation of consciousness. And for 1656 years, man is making constant conscious decisions without consulting God. It is the dispensation of consciousness that causes mankind to develop a dispensation called human government which is the third dispensation and what happens is God says alright man is going to do what he wants to do so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have mercy I'm going to wink at his sin and I'm going to help him to establish structure and I'm going to help him to establish order his flesh is out of control so what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow him to eat meat and so he implements the eating of meat and he allows man to govern himself and to put individuals in positions of power for the next 427 years but human government failed which now forces man into the fourth dispensation which is the dispensation of promise this is where God says in spite of what you're doing I'm going to make you a promise that I'm going to come up with a plan to bring you out and I'm going to spare you until I originate that plan. So he moves in and he keeps his promise for up to 430 years. Man then looks at the promises of God and he begins to become wayward. So God now implements the fifth dispensation, which is the dispensation of law. Now that dispensation was difficult because man could not keep the law. Paul said when the law came sin revived and I died the reason he could not keep the law is because it was tablets of 603 rules and in addition to the 603 rules there were 10 commandments a total of 613 rules that man had to follow 
and the rules became taxing and overbearing. It is the dispensation of law that lasted for 1718 years. When God looks at man and he says, I've got to find an individual that is able to deliver man. An individual that is able to bring them out and to save them from themselves. So what he does is he backtracks because he calls it in at the beginning. He uh, is able to redeem the time. The investigation for that man started in the first dispensation. And so he said, I'll use Adam. Well, Adam tried for 930 years, but he failed. And so he looked to Seth. Seth tried for 912 years, but he failed. Enos for 905 years, and he failed. Canaan for 910 years. Mahalabel for 895 years. Jared for 962 years. Enoch for 365 years. Methuselah for 969 years. Lamech for 777 years. Noah for 950 years and then Abraham for 175 years. A total of 8750 years where God tried to use a man and every one of them failed. I don't know. I, I feel it coming. If I'm going to be delivered, God has to initiate a way to bring me out. Who shall be able to deliver me from this body of death? God, I'll ask you to shake your neighbor's hand just three times today. Shake it from the third to the last time. And tell him God has a plan. It is his plan that saved you. Yes, when the car flipped over and you walked out all right, it's because his plan saved your life. When the doctor had six months to live, and that's been six years ago, his plan saved your life. Look your neighbor in the face and tell him God a play. I feel like hollering in here. I feel like shouting. Y'all better pray for me. I feel like something to break loose. Look your neighbor in the face and say, God is in control. I feel it here. The plan of God has to be initiated because there is no man capable, there is no man qualified, but the rules require.
nurture a man. So God cannot just descend. Oh no. He's got to play by the rules. So now then God looks at the law and he gives responsibility to man. And for 800, 8,750 years, man just grows worse. And the problem just intensifies. None of them have the ability to liberate us from sin and death. But while we were yet sinners, I'm preaching to myself, while we were yet sinners, Christ is now given the responsibility. We are now moving from the dispensation into the sixth dispensation which is the present dispensation and that's the dispensation of grace but in order for that to be a dispensation of grace there had to be a man worthy enough who met the qualifications to save us I don't know I don't know there had to be a man who could move in the world and overcome the vicissitudes of the enemy. There had to be a man who could look the devil in the face and stop him in his tracks. There had to be a man who could walk on water like it was concrete. There had to be a man who could feed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. There had to be a man who could transfigure before the disciples who is that man lift up your voice shout hallelujah I feel like break dancing here the responsibility is now given to a man and so now enduring after enduring 1700 and 18 years of dispensation of law the seed in the woman that was prophesied has now begun to move through the genealogical line. According to John, St. John chapter number one, he explains the mysterion of the mystery of the coming of Christ. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. God. and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him and so now the word takes a form it becomes a person and a personality and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and that life was the light of man and that light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not verse number 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace there's your dispensation and the truth if I were to quote that particular scripture from its original etymology I would have to look at the beginning which defines Yahweh 
which defines Elohim. I would have to look at the word which defines Jesus and the essence in between Yahweh and the word is the breath of God which defines the Holy Spirit. Now I have the monogeny, the only one of his kind. So now let's look at John from the original etymology. What it's actually saying is in Jehovah was Jesus and Jesus was with Jehovah because Jesus was Jehovah. All things were made by Jehovah but without Jesus was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life and that life was the light of man and the light shined in darkness and the darkness could not understand it. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Do I have the time? If you want me to preach, say preach, apostle, preach. Uh, thank you for permission. I will. It is Jesus now who is the man. And he is the man that has been given the responsibility. Uh, shout hallelujah. I wrote a poem some time ago when the world had no order and reality did not exist. There stood an all-conclusive God in the midst. When the wind did not know how to blow and the grass did not know how to grow. When the sun was ignorant to light and darkness was confused by night. When hate made nothing sweat and water made nothing wet there lived a God by the name of Jehovah Elohim sitting in the grandeurs of heaven did Jehovah Elohim writing the blueprints was Jesus who was with him when the plan was complete they began to boast and pass the instruction to the Holy Ghost I now have the formulation of the Godhead dispersed. But in order for me to know God, I've got to know Jesus. And so Jesus now is responsible. He's responsible for you and I. He's responsible to save us from the demons of hell. He's responsible to bring us through the negative into the positive. Somebody shout hallelujah. He is responsible. Uh, the conflict, I, I got some work to do here. Uh, but I'm going across the Jordan, I promise. Uh, the concept of eternity collaborating with time moves outside of the intellectual periphery because truthfully, God is eternal and there is no time in eternity. If God is going to live in time, he would then have to capitulate, acquiesce, or succumb to. He would have to yield himself to time, becoming vulnerable to the conditions that involved are involved in the nucleus of time. That 
with me. Although he is God, he would still be flesh. He would be a man, just a man, not just a man, but lower than a man, because he became sin, not the sinner. He did not become the fornicator. He became fornication. He did not become the liar. He became the lie. He was worse than us. He bared the penalty of our judgment. He had conformed to his father. And he did not conform to the world. Although he bare the penalties of sin in his flesh. I got some work to do here. I'm trying to be nice. Yo, can I just, can I just allow me the time? Look at your neighbor say, baby, you coming out today. If I got to drag you out, if, if I got to kick you out, I promise you, you coming out, feel the Holy Ghost. Lift up your voice. Shout hallelujah. He comes into the world. And when he comes into the world, he is now responsible. And you've got to understand the weight of his coming. You've got to understand the difficulty of his coming. Because in order for him to come, he had to wrap himself in a panoply of infirmity an idiosyncrasy molded in discrepancy and inconsistency full of ambiguity that without hesitancy constantly consistently and consequently pulled him negatively he is fighting to live God I, I don't have the time because I'm in order for Jesus to come, he had to fight to live. And after he got here, he had to fight to die. The weight of the world is on his shoulders. And he's got to bear the weight. He has to be a man. If he's a man, that means he has to deal with temptation. He has to deal with pain in his body. He has to look at a woman and, you know, and breathe his flesh under subjection. I do not want to talk to me. I'll talk to you. The only way God could relate to us is by letting Jesus feel what we felt. He was tempted in every way, yet without without sin. I got two more section neighbor's hands. I need to borrow an extra one. Check it for the third for the last time. And say when I cry, he understands. When I'm lonely, he understands. When I'm broken, he understands. Because we have not an high priest. He is responsible. Now he is a man. A man born of a woman. If he is born of a woman, 
then I would have to introduce conception. The ancient writers call it the immaculate conception. If there is conception, then there has to be deposit. There has to be a deposit of seed into the womb of the woman. So the Holy Ghost looks for a woman who meets the qualification to carry his seed. But the seed has to be able to survive. Now in the philosophy of conception, whenever there is interaction, over 300 million sperm cells are released into the woman. They go following through here. Uh-huh. And the 300 sperm cells, once they are released, the woman's body produces a defense system. She sends out antibodies to destroy the sperm cells. So in order for Jesus to get to the earth, he had to complete with 299 million additional cells that was trying to come into the world. He had to overcome them and then he had to deal with the antibodies that Mary's body produced that tried to kill him before he made it to the uterus. They came after him. Then he had to wait before the fallopian tubes for five additional days to recover the strength. After the five days, he had to travel another 30 minutes through the fallopian tubes, watching out for the antibodies just to get to the uterus, to get to the world. Uh, might I preach it like I feel it? Uh, can I just have church? I said I preach it all. I changed my mind. Come on, musician. I feel kind of churchy. Lift up your hands. Shout hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. And so now Jesus, he has to fight to live, knowing he would have to fight to die in order for eternity to exist in time. There had to be a natural birth because God had to play by the rules. He had to play by what he had put in place in order to save the world. Just give another mic. He had to pray. He had to play by the rules just to save us. Eternity had to step into time in order to move us into a place where we could be saved. When Jesus came into the world, he had to deal with the gods of that day. He had to deal, help me out, with the gods of that day. He had to be prepared mentally. He had to be prepared emotionally. He had to be prepared psychologically in order to save all of us. In those days, they practiced. 
practice dualism, which was universal agreement in the power of good and evil, as if they were equivalent, the one to the other. He had to be able to deal with dualism and the gospel of equality. He had to deal with polytheism, which was a doctrine that gave men the right to serve multiple gods. He had to deal with atheism, which was a philosophy that gave men the right to believe in any God and to serve who they wanted. And then there were the non-theastics who just said, I don't believe in nobody. I do what I want and live how I want. He had to deal with Hermes, which was the protector of humans that the Greeks served. He had to deal with Aspopis, which was the god of medicine that they served in his day. He had to deal with Sarathis, which was the god of fertility that the women prayed to to give birth to a child. He had to deal with Zeus, which was the god they served in his time. They called him the god of heaven, but the real god of the heavens had come down to man. And then there were the Serbian Gnostics, which was a gospel that turned the Pharisees against Jesus. Because for ancient years, the Pharisees, they studied that God could not come down into the flesh. And so they didn't believe Jesus when he said he was God. But when Jesus came into the world, every demon in hell knew who he was. I'm out of here. Shake your neighbor's hands from the second to the last time and say, neighbor, when he came, he shook up the heavens and Zeus got nervous. When he came, he shook up medicine and after he got nervous, when he came, he saved mankind and Hermes got nervous. The call of fertility and to bow down to the creator of the world. I got a close when they found out who he was. They put him on the cross. Can I put him back on school? Somebody said they hung him high. They stretched him out. He hung his head and then he died. Put him in a bubble tomb and he laid there from Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, but every Sunday morning he got up with all power in his hand, shake your neighbor's hand and say, neighbor, when he got up, time got up, and time that got up with him was my time. Shut your neighbor's hand and say, neighbor, it's my time to shine. It's my time for victory. It's my time 
Prince of Peace, come in your name and take its full. It's the fullness of time. not just denote when he got here but it also explains when he left here that's right my god that's right the fullness of time was not in his entrance it was in his exit because when he got up all power, all power. All power. All power. Come on. was given unto him. Watch this. In heaven and in earth. And when the fullness of time was complete, he now shares that power with his brothers and his sisters. You have been adopted. You are a son of God, but you are an heir and a joint heir to Jesus Christ. Which means that all of us who received him, he gave power to us to become sons. Did y'all hear that? of God. That's right. That means you and I are prince and princesses. We are heirs to the throne. God did not descend because he set the rules. But the statement he made to the devil wrapping himself in flesh was that I'll come down and whoop you like a man. <laughs> this is why, uh, don't worry. <clears throat> this is why I don't lose no sleep. He already died for me. And he got up for me. And he promised me that if I receive him, I would be a son of God. Look at your neighbor. Say, I need to ask you something. Are you a son? Everybody in the house ain't a part of the family. You're not saying that. I do dinners all the time at my house. And there are some people sitting at the table. They ain't related to me. So I would be naive to believe that everybody in here is a son. Amen. Amen. 
Do you know how much God loves you? I don't think you really do. I've been in this place for the last seven years. And I've been struggling with the church's doctrine. Because they made me believe that I was sinning when I really wasn't. They, they robbed me of my life, of my joy. You're not saying nothing here. I had to grow past the opinions of people. And I had to study the word of God for myself. And I had to develop a personal relationship because they told me that if I went to the movie theater, I was going to hell. Because the TV screen was a one-eyed demon. Come on now. Some people, if they see my hair right now, I got to cover my head around some folk. They just go ahead and die and go to heaven. You're not saying nothing. Because somewhere in our philosophical, etymological doctrine, we made the outside the description. When people look churchy on the outside, but they were monsters on the inside. And so now we're afraid. I told somebody the other day, I just don't believe that when I stand before God in the day of judgment, he's going to say, Amos, you tried everything you could do to live for me. You preached the gospel. You fought the enemy. You fought temptation. You, you struggled to do what I wanted you to do. You were a good man. But unfortunately, I can't let you in because you twisted your hair. We say things that are all so earthly and have no biblical support. That's right. Come on now. Amen. Amen. I can't let you in because you ate a shrimp dinner. Come on. Find you some peace so you can have some joy. In this earth, you've got one life to live. And the Bible says he put it into the hearts of men to enjoy the things of this world. You can be holy and still have a life. You're not saying nothing. He died for you to have peace. I just, I got to the point, I got tired of battling in my mind. Amen. Amen. And you better know God for yourself because if you're not careful, the church will have you married before you're ready. You're not saying nothing. Just because they see you holding hands, it's better married than the bird. You're not talking here. You ain't even ready for marriage. You don't know what marriage look like. But because you met somebody you like, you got to get married. Y'all not saying that. And you married somebody that walked just like you walk. Y'all catch that tomorrow. Amen. Learn how to serve God for yourself. Jesus died and got up so you could have that privilege. 
the privilege of having a personal relationship. No longer does the law steer your relationship. But now you can enjoy the liberty that Christ has given you to make you free. Are you hearing me? In the law, when they sinned, he killed them. I knew I would have been dead. <laughs> they broke the law. <laughs> the Lord was a reaper. Don't not talking. Amen. Amen. The law, you mess. See, y'all get away now disrespecting the preacher. The punishment is slow because of grace. But under the law, leprosy. <laughs> Y'all not saying nothing. You come, Pastor, I don't know what's wrong, but I woke up this morning. Y'all better thank God for grace. Since he's given you this grace, why not choose to do right? He's not forcing you. He's asking you, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. That's how my God talks to me. He's never screamed at me. He knows how to talk to me. You understand? I was telling them this morning, the presence of the Lord had come in. And I began to weep and I said to the Lord, I feel as if I'm fighting a losing battle. Amen. Feel as if I'm fighting a losing battle. I said it three times, and he spoke to me, and he said, "But I'm a winner." In his, in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. He said, "Amos, the reason you've been so stressed is because you think you're fighting the world." He says, "You're not fighting the world. You're fighting me." He said, "You're supposed to lose." Because I'm a winner. I'm the one putting you through this process. I'm in control. I was, one of my members made me mad. And I felt like I, I had the right doc. I had scripture behind me. I was going to blast her. Oh, I had the scripture behind me. Stood up in church. Lifted up my head. I could do like Moses. Just make her fall out. Let her die for three minutes and then bring her back. <laughs> Y'all not saying that. I was ready. When I stood before her, ready to release in anger. Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, but she's still my child. That's right. Y'all not saying no. I don't know what Holy Ghost you got because he talked to me different. He makes me love people that hate me. And bless people that curse me. Yes. And give them to those that would ask when I have power to do so. Yes. That's what he makes me do. Right? He said, but she's still my child. Yes. When he said that, I start crying. <laughs> I put my arms around her, she start crying. <laughs> Look to my left, Elder Whitney was crying. You understand? Whole church start crying. The power of God. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. 
Today, I need you to comprehend this. Wherever you've been, whatever you've gone through, wherever you are, that season has passed. It has passed. This season is the season that's going to define who you really are. If he takes care of the sparrow, he will take care of you. You're more important than the bird. And he keeps his promises to the bird. Why are you so vexed? Why are you so angry? Why are you so depressed? Why are you so frustrated? God has made you a promise that he will never leave you. Nor forsake you. Why are you in the church letting the devil whoop you? Lift your hands. I'm so glad that my spiritual father was here. I'm so glad that Bishop Bradley was here. You all got enough prophecy. <laughs> Come, please. Amen. Can I have a can I have a prophetic break? No. Oh my God, Bishop. Well, I want you to want you go to the end there. Just walk all the way to the end. Right? All right. Now, I represent the Holy Spirit. All right? And what's about to happen? I want you to walk. Walk toward the front. Holy Spirit told me to tell you that you've come far enough by yourself. He says he's going to walk with you now. And he says that he's going to begin to minister to your mind and begin to reveal to you who he really is. He says the mantle that is in your bloodline is getting ready to show up in you. Not only do you carry an evangelist, but you are an evangelist. Yes. Lift your hands. Father, you know the position of my body. You know my strength levels. I'm asking you that the same anointing that was on the apostles, the Hegaiso, Heos, Leos, the consecrated, dedicated, and separated all. Pour it on me now. I don't want the glory. I will tell them that it's you. Look at me. Every sin is forgiven. Your slate is clean. This is the first day of your new life.
When I touch you, Holy Spirit is going to touch you. Stay close to her. She's got that baby. We don't want that baby to come before time. There's the anointing. There it is. Maya Talamanuku. There it is. Don't wipe your tears. The Bible says he puts your tears in a bottle and he reads them like a book. That's the anointing that's on you right now. I call forth the evangelistic power. On her, on the baby girl. I call forth the evangelistic power. Don't let her fall. Keep that baby there. If you don't talk to God, he won't talk to me. Lift your hands and worship him. Lift your hands, worship God. Because you love him. Come to me, sir. Come with me. Come. Come, come up here. We, we just go work it. Right? We ain't got that much room. Move it. Can we move this, Bishop? Move that. Give me some room. Yeah, just move that for me. Lift your hands for me. Holy Spirit said to me that today he's going to change your name. Don't take my word for it. Look it up in the scripture because it's there. Holy Spirit said your name shall be called Hebzabah, which means beloved of God. And he said after today, because I hear in my ear the prayers of a woman crying out for you. You were rebellious. You didn't listen. But God said her prayers echoed in the heavens. And it got on his nerves. He said, I will answer the prayers of that woman concerning your life. I will keep the enemy from locking you up. From stealing from you. And he says I will bring out of you the gospel. I'm about to touch him. And God's about to break him. I've come here today. In the stead of the Holy Spirit. To remove your sins. Your slate is clean. Your sins are forgiven. You shall be called Hephzibah. Beloved of God. And he says, because I will not share you 
I will change the relationships in your life because I will not share you. When I lay my hands on him, Bishop, I want you to lay your hands on him after I lay my hands on him and we're going to give him a double portion. And heaven marked this day of the greatest change in his life. Jesus. Where's my spiritual father? Luku Satan. These tears that you shed, they are tears of deliverance. Who, who is he to you? That's your son. Well, I heard your voice praying over it. And the Lord said he's heard your prayers concerning your son. And he told me to tell you, not only did he hear your prayers concerning your son, he said, but today he's going to touch your body. Come with me, please. Satan Thank you, Jesus. Come stand beside your son. If I prayed for you and I told you that he's forgiven your sins, I'm going to call for salvation and I need you to come. I've grown up with all that floss. I'm trying to get folks saved. You understand? Oh God, lift your hands to Father. I'm telling you the power of God is in here. I don't have to touch folk. I'm telling you God's going to. Listen. Don't make me just move and start pointing at you. Every spirit that has tormented you. I command you to be at peace. And to be loose. Satan. Liar. Liar. Hallelujah. The glory is here. And you're going to come forth as pure gold. I need y'all to worship. I'm trying to conserve my energy. I'm trying my best. If you want to receive the presence of the Holy Ghost, just stand where you are. Stand. If you know you need the Holy Ghost, just stand. If you already have the Holy Ghost, I'm not talking to you. But if you want to receive the Holy Ghost, that's who I need to see. All right, come to me. Come quickly, come to me quickly. Stand here in front of me. 
Father, if there is any spirit hiding from me, I command it to show itself. Any spirit hiding from me, I command it to show itself. You have been asking God a lot of questions and you want answers. Holy Spirit said to me, he's going to give you answers. He's going to give you answers. Those of you who are standing before me, I need you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus. I surrender my life to you. My soul belongs to you. Save me. Come on, say save me. Holy Spirit is about to heal your mind. Yes. <laughs> He's about to heal your mind. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.